This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Come on down and jump over this shit. can't always have Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we talk the 2021 Netflix film by director Kim Tae-hung, titled Eighth Night. With prayer beads in one hand and an axe in another, a monk hunts down a millennial old spirit that's possessing humans and unleashing hell on Earth. The film was released in July of 2021 on Netflix. I'm Gabe Vinadal, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast. And I'm joined, as always, by co-host, veteran podcaster, and editor, Mr. Alan Martindale. And again, joining us on the last episode of Horror Month is filmmaker Brandon Richardson. Hey, guys. How the hell are you? Good, man. Uh, this movie, I'm also going to call it just Supernatural the movie. Yeah. This is like watching a, a long Supernatural episode. Yeah, there was uh, when I, so I think, okay, I'm going to go Korean. I want to bring a little international flair. It wasn't my first choice, but it was the choice that was most accessible. I figured Alan and Brandon both have Netflix so they can access it easily. Because what I found out, by the way, is when you get into Korean film, not all the best films are accessible on streaming platforms. And what you have to do is buy the DVD. And the DVDs cost $20, $30. And I was like, well, that's not happening for this podcast. Yeah, because so, imports, right? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, what's accessible? Pull it up. Of course, you Google it. Here it is. Eighth Night comes up. And admittedly, look, if you read, for me at least, when I read the synopsis, I was like, I'm all in. Yeah. Sounds cool. A freaking monk traveling around with, with you know, prayer beads and an axe. Like, wh who's not interested? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. When you I say mean, monk and axe in the same sentence, I'm a, sign me up, right? Sign me up for that. Um, but then, it, yeah, it just kind of turns into a little bit more of... And look, you say Supernatural, the movie, and I, will, I like Supernatural, the TV me too. show. Me too. Um, and so I didn't hate this movie, and we'll get into the depths of it, but it wasn't the setup that I expected, right? It wasn't the same. It, it almost, wasn't what I had hoped for. It almost felt a little like, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, like Supernatural meets Lord of the Rings a little bit. Dude, I definitely picked up a Lord of the Rings vibe. Yeah, right? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I definitely, from the get-go, it yeah. kind of feels like Lord of the Rings. Contemporary. Yeah, contemporary <laughs> Lord of the Rings for sure. What? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't get the Lord of the Rings vibe. Maybe I'm just not a Lord of the Rings aficionado Nerd. like Brandon. He is actually Frodo on Halloween. That's what he dressed up as when he had long hair. But Brandon, let's talk about that real quick. Hold your hair up for us. Oh, yes. Brandon cut his hair. For those watched previous episodes of the podcast, you can see here now Brandon. Oh, look at that. And Brandon's going to donate it. What a good man. Yep. Some little kid will be wearing these lovely locks gonna have those jesus locks on his and he's gonna love life and i love that that's great 
So, yeah. Haven't figured out what I'm going to do with it. Maybe I'll shave it. I don't know. We'll see. Is it going to be like uh, on that Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror when Homer gets the hair transplant? Yes. Snake? Dude, and that was like a classic one. Uh, epic. I just picture Brennan's hair taking over some poor kid. <laughs> hey, wait. We just... You just wrote out a premise for it. We, we can just steal a Simpsons idea and make a whole movie from it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Because look, this is this, this film here, Eighth Night on Netflix. It, it kind of has, I mean, not that it's that same thing, but the concept being that there's this monster that takes over bodies. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is Brandon's hair possesses people, right? A young we'll call it transplant. <laughs> I like it. I call it hairy. Let's get in development right away. I'm listening. I Let's end it. the podcast and go right into a writer's meeting. Let's go. <laughs> uh, no, this is... Uh, so anyway, it wasn't what I expected initially when I watched it. Um, and so it is what it is in terms of the expectation going in. So, um, but I wanted to bring a Korean flair and that was the... the uh, original concept was like i want it for this horror month this is our last episode of horror month i was like man i really want to bring in something korean because a lot of their films that i've seen and i haven't seen them all i'm not a i wouldn't consider myself a korean cinema aficionado but the 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 actual films that i have seen by filmmakers from korea are amazing like most of everything i've seen i've loved it's so well and then so i have a i, I was thinking about this and i have a question do you think that like you think of Train to Busan, you think of Parasite. Uh, we watched, I saw the devil. Yeah. We did an episode on that. Are we getting the best of Korean cinema here in, in the US or are they just adeptly talented at making films? Because this movie is not great, but even as a miss, I think it's good. Like I still really we're, enjoyed it. We're 100% in the same boat. Because I was thinking about this when we were coming into the podcast, and I thought it's not good or it's not great, it's not bad. No, it I just, still enjoyed it, but it's not. Yeah, it it's just not. kind of is. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you go, man, are these guys just that much? And I mean this sincerely. Are they just that much better? <laughs> as I film, I, I'm serious. As technical film, technical filmmakers. Because the other thing I looked at, this is his first film. Is it really? And this is this an ambitious is, project for your first film. This is his first film, which he wrote and directed. Hmm. According to IMDb, right? So maybe there's something missing there, but uh, I don't know. I think technically, yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not a grand slam, but it might be like, if we go with a baseball analogy, it might be a double. It's like a good, solid a yeah. ground rule double. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a like it's like the analogy of you know everyone says you know the music was so great in the 50s 60s 70s and whatever well it's because all the shitty songs didn't go anywhere just the classics remain Good point I think there is a filtration system happening with korean film as well but also the thing there's so many filmmakers there as well and it's not all going to be gold right of course of course not but to me it just feels like from the korean films i've seen which again not a lot either I haven't, you know, I'm not, I haven't seen everything they have to offer, but it feels like the cynicism isn't there that we get here. Like we, there, there aren't, it doesn't feel like 
there's a lot of cash grabs that get filtered to us. Whereas like how many superhero movies can we have? How many remakes can we have? How many reboots can we have? And it just feels like there's so many cash grabs and banking on nostalgia. It just feels like a lot of cynicism. Uh, and I just, from the, the, the few films I've seen from Korea, it feels like they're making these projects because they love the projects themselves. Like you can tell for this, for this one, you can tell he loves what he's doing. He, he loves the story. He's got a story that just kind of has to be told. And he went out and he made it happen. Parasite, same thing. I saw the devil, same thing. Like there's just, to me, there's, it, it just feels like they're more passion projects than what, than what we get a lot of the time here outside of yeah. independent film. I definitely get a, a passion project vibe off of this because in a lot of ways, there were some amateurish sort of moves that you could tell you could pick up. Um, Parasite, for example, was way more polished and you could tell it was a much more professional crew, but, but it, it definitely, and the acting was superb question for you, for you both. Did you watch it with, in Korean or with English dub? Yeah, so for those listening, when you watch it on Netflix, you can dub it in English. It gives you the option. Uh, I went with uh, Korean. I got to watch it in the native language, and yeah. then I got to have it. I can, I'd rather just read the subtitles for me. Yeah, when it, when it came on, it automatically did the dub. And I was like, I, I can't. I'm not going to be able to do this. Yeah, no. exactly. And then, so then I realized that you can switch it to, to where it's in Korean, and you just have the subtitles. And then it was much better, much better experience. The dubbing, why can't they get dubbing right? Why, why is it so difficult to get dubs, I don't know, to, to, make, to still not take you out of the moment? I don't understand. Because the lips don't ever, will, will never line up. The, the it's lips. not even that, though. It's the acting is so, like, so hammy. Well, they, they just can't get good people to do it. It's like, that's what a, it is. It's an actor cash grab. Like, oh, I'll just go yeah. read all this stuff. Done. Good point. It, look, it's got to be incredibly hard to be sure. able to voice act something you didn't act. Sure. Because a lot of times it's not the same actor, right? They'll bring someone else. Like in this case, of course, it's a person yeah. who's, unless they're extremely fluent in English. And do you know what I mean? Like they got to find someone that has those nuances. So it's hard to, to act something you didn't actually do. Did you notice a couple of the subtitles it said in English? No. Uh, no. Like I a couple of the that. lines that said in English. So I'm like, do they speak in english yeah i don't remember hearing any english lines in this at all so well there yeah. wasn't any english lines but i just it was really a couple of a few times it came up just like in english and then it said that i wonder just someone screwed up at netflix like, sorry totally totally uh could happen with transcriptions and yeah no i i watched it with the the subtitles um and it and like alan said it made it a lot better look yeah. I, I can't do it the other way what did you do, Brandon? You did it that way as well, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Which is okay. which? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't I, do I it. I'd rather do that. So anyway, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm not. I'm not out here uh, saying that every Korean film is a is a grand slam. Uh, what I'm saying is, in some way or another, everything that I'm seeing come out of there is good. And I like what you're talking about, Alan. Which is like, man, it's 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 an untang it's an intangible, right? Which is like passion like it can it are we just doing this in a formulaic process to right. to do what we do because that's what we do we're just going to make a movie but we have no no real true passion behind it like i it's funny i almost think things like that can be 
you know, port, you know, they can, they can come through on the screen. Like, I, I totally agree. And I know it sounds weird because it's not, it's not a tangible thing, right? You can't be like, oh, he was passionate or he wasn't. But something in the way that it's put together and, and the way that they structure it, you can feel it. So it, it definitely is a difference there in terms of the passion. Like it, they want to tell stories and whether those stories seem to be good or bad or whatever, like they, they want to tell them and they want to tell them in the best way that they can at that moment. Yeah, it's and look, I, I'm not um, I'm not ignorant to the fact that film is a business and studios, they want to make money. And I understand that totally. But it also feels like, you know, these Korean films that, that we've been able to watch feels like there's some more creative freedom there. There's a little bit more liberty to kind of do what they want, do things that and maybe that's what, what resonates with us is we're not seeing that kind of stuff here as much like. And I'm not I'm not besmirching anyone who loves Marvel movies, you know, go for it. Like, look at me. Like, I was ecstatic to watch Halloween Kills. And that was a straight up cash grab. You know, like it was just a total cash grab. Well, uh, can I keep your thought? But those kind of movies, too, are cash grabs from the start. They go, we're going to do three movies. Right. Exactly. I mean, they, they announced the next two Halloween movies right after the release of right. uh, the 2018 one. So for sure. Spoils. The next two movies because you're like well obviously he's not going to die in the right. second one right right clearly <laughs> and and so it did feel like like halloween kills just felt like it's a bridge to get to halloween ends which will come out next year right it just didn't feel like a like it needed to be made at all and there's a lot of that in what we get in, in our pop culture here and i just think it's a little refreshing to see um and and it may be that way in korea too like they may be doing that here and we're just only getting the really good projects uh because they're so refreshing and because they're they're just passion projects and and they have a little bit more creative freedom i think as an as audiences we enjoy seeing filmmakers good or bad i think we enjoy seeing filmmakers and storytellers tell their stories like it when when movies go to shit it's very easy, and it happens a lot of the time where the studios are blamed. There's too much studio interference. They wanted to change this and that. And so I think when we get the sense that this is just this is a story told from the heart that they just had to tell, I think it, it resonates with us for some reason. Yeah, and I think it's a good point, which is uh, when, you, when you, you're able to uh, you know, take away all the the people in the mix and let one person really kind of be the creative force behind something. If they're good at it, it shines through and mm -hmm. it, it actually dilutes and taints the project. If you have 10 other voices coming in and saying, Hey, do this, do that, do this. And in this case, it almost feels like they do a pretty good job at just letting the creative head and the director, or the writer kind of ex explore his vision or her vision. Right. So, well, let me give you an example. So we we also watch Bad Taste, which is Peter Jackson's first feature. It's a terrible movie. Like horrible. It's, it's horrible. But both you and I, Gabe, talked about how it, it's very endearing because this was just a movie that he wanted to make. And you yes. it just felt you could feel the love for the project come through on every single frame, even though it was a terrible movie. Objectively, it's bad. We both appreciated that and it resonated with us. 
Yeah, and also just I mean, one of those things that, that that I always say, which is like you made a movie, like the fact right, that in, right. in an independent sense, like you went through the process, this that's very difficult, and then on top of that, your passion shined through. So that's, right, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're getting here. And this is kind of how I felt about this movie going in. And so a little bit about the the overall storyline, you know, it really is kind of that synopsis, but it didn't come across quite as maybe horrific. As the synop- for me, when I read the synopsis, I thought it was a. It felt really horror. It felt like we're going to see some slashing. We're going to see some axe grinding monk taking sh- people out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and knowing a little bit, and you think about when we watched I Saw the Devil, or if you watch other, a couple of, of the other Korean films, it's like they're not afraid of of gore. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I was thinking we're going to see a lot of that. And we there were a couple of hints of it, but not it wasn't explicit in this film. Not saying that's good or bad. It just wasn't in your face. Quite yeah. Mild. It was mild. It was more toned down. Um, and so uh, the story is essentially this this ancient monster, which represents, I guess, fear and darkness and kind of the eye of Sauron. So I get what you're saying now in terms of the Lord of the Rings, right? It's that darkness that can en- envelop the earth, right? Like it take over the earth. I get now I, when you guys said that, I was like, oh, but now I'm talking through it. I go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I think that's the, what this monster encompasses. And it has eight nights to go through these different passages and these different gateways until it becomes fully uh, powerful, right? And this monk who has gone through this, uh, horrific event in his past with his family being killed in a car accident and then he became a monk and yada 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 has to be the one to prevent it or stop the monster from reaching its full potential he has to reunite with the, with the source of his power on this planet which is the eyes right the ring yeah. the ring right the well, ring. It, even the way they they do the the, the mythology where they tell you the mythology right up front felt very yeah, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and kind of the animation sequences. I, I, I say animation cause I don't know what else to call it. Um, yeah, that just felt very Lord of the Rings. It just, it felt familiar. I love Lord of the Rings. Like I love fantasy. I think that's fun. And it's similar as well. Yeah. Yeah. The score. I was going to talk about that. I thought the score was great. Actually. I love the score. I think it enhanced this movie so much. It made it, much more tolerable for me yes read yeah totally brandon seems to have not liked the movie i think we're sitting in a middle territory and we'll talk about our ratings later brandon seems very uh as if this movie was very distasteful it wasn't distasteful i just well we'll get into it (laughs) well no that's what we're here for now get into that shit. let's go give us give us some thoughts the story was a little convoluted for my tastes. Very. And that's and that's always difficult for me to to I mean, I'll get what about I like it though? I like reveals, but when they kind of jump over each other to try to be the bigger I'm like, well, no, 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 dude. You're making it too complicated. Let's just Yeah. I will say uh the acting was pretty was pretty pretty good. I I wasn't I was uh I was pleased with the acting with the with the monk and the the young monk. Um I think a couple of people kind of got wasted just 
not being able to do much. Uh, like the whole the whole detective going through, I think we could have looked could have lost that whole thing. I don't know that it was really necessary. I think it's, it's Korean it, cinema though, so there has to be a detective involved. <laughs> it has <Yeah>. to be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I I'm kind of with you there. Although it's been consolidated a little bit and made it more of a journey and more of it instead of I didn't um, mind the detective because for me ultimately what he brings is look and you think of those traditional tropes that you run across right. Uh, he brings a sense of there, he's supposed to be the comedic relief. He's the one, more one. He's the he's not great at his job. He's not bad at his job. He says silly things. He says you know. So he kind of brought that comedic element to it. it but Brent, I'll agree with you. There were too many moving parts. Yeah. And it was, it didn't, I still don't really understand what happened you at all. It. And so I agree that I think the detective storyline could have been axed, but I also like those characters more than any other character. So I would have been bummed if they didn't have that because uh, I liked the the cop, and I liked the the storyline with his his buddy that he saved. Like I liked those guys, but it was kind of unnecessary to have it in the film. Yeah, I like the cop. Well, the cop also introduces who the monster ultimately takes over at the end as well. Besides the young monk, right, right, and it's it's a B line storytelling, right? It's like you have the a a storyline with the main monk and the young monk. Then you have a B storyline with the cop, and eventually those two storylines are going to converge. And I gotta say, I couldn't stand the young monk. That kid, man, I wanted to smack him. So annoying. <laughs> he was funny to me. Oh, like and Jess, Jess watched it with me. She she loved him. She thought he was adorable. I I couldn't stand it. Like to me, it took me out of the movie. Like, why does he need the guy to take the meat off his food? Because he's a monk. He doesn't want to eat meat, right? Well, yeah. yeah, you don't have to eat it, but take it off your food. You don't have to, like, why do you need the other guy to do it for you? It just shows his devotion. Here's the thing. I I argue that there was three storylines happening. You've got the, the detective trying to figure out why people are shrink wrapping. You've got the the young, old, older monk storyline. And then you have the evil, like the monster storyline. And I think you could have gotten rid of the detective one and those those right. two journeys. I'll disagree with you, and I'll tell you why. So here's the deal. You ready? I'm ready for it. Give for it to a me. lesson that I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> no, I know I agree with the, what your storylines are. I just mean I don't think you can get rid of them. The one I would have got rid of probably because then you and I, and the convolution is there. There are elements that it's a little bit weighty. Like let's simplify. So I do agree with you. But I'd have got rid of the entirety of the, 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 the ghost of the virgin um, psychic. Like, there was no need for it, really. I didn't I'm, get it. It didn't, it didn't really reveal itself as to why it was there, right? Like, it didn't matter. And or that was, that was a storyline. They were trying to make it bigger than it was, and yeah. it just didn't have the weight that it needed to, to help the story. So I'd have got rid of that entirely, and then I'd have refocused on the the monk himself the older monk himself um they kind of did at the end of the movie where you get a little bit of his you understand that it's the kid and he's you know like he had to show compassion and all that stuff but there's 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 convolution there to the story and i got rid of that site she didn't then all of a sudden she was a ghost 
Yeah. And then it was like, what? And so I was like, those are elements that I was confused on in terms of too, too much complexity. Yeah. Just miss, miss mistaken identities and just like trying to figure out who's right. like, got to kill this girl, but she's already dead. But then at the very jumping to the very end. So like, well, so is she alive for realsies or was she just like the whole chain thing at the desert, the desert end scene didn't make a lick of fucking sense to me. I don't understand. I mean, I understand putting the thing back the eyeball, I guess. But how do you get the eyeball if you killed it? I, there's a lot. I don't understand. Yeah. It, 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 no, the ending, it, the ending did the ending started to, to fade off a little bit. It could have, <laughs> and I'll tell what well, I think it could have ended much earlier. And this is a, this is a, a thing with filmmakers. They don't know when to cut it off. Peter Jackson included. So we're talking about Lord we're of the Rings. Of, of the, of the four-hour director's cut of each let's, one of those movies. Let's cut it off a lot earlier. Well, this new is a, coming out. It's going to be eight and a half days of, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think the ending drops it, right? Mm-hmm. It dropped it. It was, it was and, and also, look, if you're taking... There's a couple of things that I that I didn't like, so let's highlight those. All right. Okay, one thing is I don't love, and this goes back to what you're saying, Brandon, and, and both of you, which is you're talking about the convolution of the story, and I particularly in this case didn't love the editing style in terms of the transitions from scene to scene. I don't necessarily love when they use either a dip to black and then they come back, or and they're trying to reset the story to me the story should be able to transition by itself without a cut or without a without a dip to black or without a let's reset the entirety of the narrative does that make sense like and so every five minutes or even less really there's a dip to black or a cut to black and then a fade back in and that to me in any film and not just this particular one is and it can work sometimes. I'm not going out here saying that this can never be part of movie making, but it oftentimes for me is detrimental to my interest in the story to a level, right? To a degree where it, it takes me out, then they want to reset me into something new, and then I got to reestablish. And I think editorially transitions, for the most part, should be able to seamlessly cut all the way through and the transitions between scenes, whether it's location to location or character to character, they should, they should, you know, continue seamlessly without without those kind of cut to blacks. And 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 it just was too often. I don't mind it coming in once in a while, but there was it was like every three minutes. It was let's reset. Do you know what I think of every time I see a cut to black in a movie? Commercial break. Yeah, it feels like it's a commercial break. And it's just, it's not, it's not the format for that. Again, like there are, there are narratively, it can, it can work, but that's almost the exception, you know, like it doesn't, it, it's not very often. And so I just, it just feels like a TV movie when they go to that. I agree. It's like the POV hit over the head. Ooh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's other ways you can do that. That was one thing. And then the other, and this isn't a knock on him. I actually think they did a good job. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of, or I'm up in the air about. It. I'm on the fence about the special effects. I, I'm on yeah. the fence. Uh-uh. That's where the amateurish sort of like first time sort of stuff happening. 
that's where I was getting a lot of the vibe. I mean, they were they were fine. They were they were not amazing, but it's like, eh, that was After Effects in the afternoon, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where that's really where the supernatural vibe came in because especially early on in that show, if you uh look at those those special effects, they were not good. They're all, like so dated. And so that's kind of what I was feeling. Like it's like, yeah, like the eye and the cheek just didn't look. There's just some there was some something wasn't right with it. It needed a little bit more massaging to make it look right. Yeah. Because it could have been a very creepy thing. That's a creepy good idea. Yeah. If you want to scare someone, but it's just you, man, you really got to pull it off. And there were these moments where they used, I thought, cool sound effects and cool camera techniques to create that horror type vibe where you think of tradition, like where he sees the young woman in the alley, right? The, the young, the high school girl kind of dressed in the high school uniform. And then she does the weird, like to me, just the practical effect of her smiling, like doing yeah. that was creepy. So creepy. Like that kind of stuff. She nailed it. And, and also the other guy who does it later nailed it too. But that would, cause that, again, that could have been something that came across as really cheesy and really stupid. You got to have a, an actor who can pull that off. And I, th I thought she nailed it. Mm -hmm. uh, there was also a couple of interesting camera moves that I thought were, were admirable. Like at the very end, when it's, it's tracking along that tree and you're not really sure of your orientation and then it ends up being upside down and he slowly flips it around. I thought that was kind of a cool move. And it, it actually did say something to me. I'm like, all right, you know, I didn't notice the camera move, but I kind of understood why they did it. It's like to kind of just throw you off a little bit. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that particular move. And, um, but no, I mean, it just, it just, it just had the, the vibe of a lot of first time filmmakers, maybe, maybe there, there's definitely some seasoned people in there, but just, it was kind of a mix. I can, you can just feel that mix. Brandon always comes in and he's like, oh, I can do it better. I've never said that once. <laughs> that's, what, that's the vibe I'm getting. You're like, oh, give me that shit. Like, you, you said you're going to do the Halloween, the third Halloween. Right? No, I'm making eyes without a face. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You probably could do that better. I think we all could. We all could do that. <laughs> Pretty dating. <laughs> Try to get some French influence and just... <laughs> Um, no, the, but I, I mean, I thought it was, if you think about, I also thought that it was filmed. I mean, it was filmed well. The, the cinematography was nice. Um, I thought it was put together. It looked clean. It looked professional. Um, I thought, you know, whoever was behind the camera did a good job. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought that was, uh, it, it looked beautiful. It was too dark at, at moments, but that's okay. I mean, it's supposed to be kind of a dark film, but it's, I, I thought it, I mean, filmmaking wise, I thought it was technically done very well. I just think there's some story problems that drags it down quite a bit. Yeah. The convolution of the story, too many elements going on. Um, not enough, uh, too many kind of in, in some ways for me, at least maybe even you have too many uh, antagonists. You have the old monk, the new monk, like maybe just really, I mean, I know there. I think that the primary one, if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with the the old monk because he's he's got to overcome the the past. He's got to overcome that thing that he struggled with throughout the entirety of the movie. Perspectively of the audience, the POV is the young monk, but I think that becomes convoluted, right? You have all these characters, you're not sure who to I mean, you know who to root for, but you're not sure which ones the primary. 
right? They're both kind of just there. Well, it's and then like, adding, go ahead. No, I was, I was simply going to say, because we're talking Lord of the Rings, uh, we have Sam and Frodo, right? It's like we have two people. Um, and, and if you think about the story, I mean, this could be debatable. All the Lord of the Rings heads out there are going to be like, that is blasphemous. I mean, Frodo is the leader. Sorry. No, he's not, says Brandon. It's Sam. Sam saves him at the end. Um, but anyway, I just feel like too many things. I just want one person to root for. And, and there's a simplicity to it. Like that helps with the simplicity if we just, if we narrow down the focus to one person. So and that's the thing. Like Lord of the Rings, it starts off super simple. Very, very simple. Like as, as big of a film as it is and as big of a story as it is, it starts off with one thing. And then as the movies and, and books progress, the story gets more and more widespread and big. And I think this one tried to just cram too much shit in there at once. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord of the Rings, he also gives himself that bandwidth. He gives himself the ability, like you said, to start small and right. grow into the larger picture. Right. Yeah. And here you don't have, A, you don't have the time, right? Because you have two hours. You don't have six hours or six plus hours, uh, 1,200 hours if it's the director's cut. And <laughs> Peter Jackson just says, like, use all the film. Just use it all. Don't even make cuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the same thing, same scene. You see, like, the master. Then you see all of the, yeah. <laughs> the coverage. Both you hear action and cut on the end of every clip. Um, <laughs> I would have liked to have seen – one thing I did like is that they gave – the protagonist kind of a even though he was a good guy he gave him a task like a moral issue task kill one person save the world i i do enjoy that i because that it's the struggle of you know the greater good versus you know you've got this human right in front of you i feel like when that's done well that you feel the conflict yourself and i did enjoy that particular aspect of it um, even though the person they had to murder, I guess, didn't exist or did we? Well, didn't... I'm glad you brought that up because that actually just kind of it, it. I think you just shed light on why I hated the fact that she was a ghost mm -hmm. because that is an interesting. That's a super interesting moral dilemma. Yes. That we can connect with. And, mm -hmm. it, and it makes you wonder, how is this going to end up? And then when it's like, oh, just kidding, she's already dead. That dilemma has gone. Like, it's not even a thing anymore. So I'm glad you brought that up because. I couldn't figure out why I, I was so taken aback by the fact that she was a ghost. Like, I understand they're trying to do a twist and whatever. Like, it was surprising, but it also was like, oh, that's stupid. And I think that's why, because I was very interested in the problem that they faced. Are they going to kill this, this poor girl or yeah. are they going to not? And, you know, and so I think that's why I was so perturbed by the fact that they they did. A, they pulled a cop out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, explain the ending of the movie. And oh, another thing I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen more of a show off or showdown at the, at the end. It kind of seemed like, kind of petered out a little bit just as far yeah. as, I mean, I, I like I dug the symbols on the, the handle and I was like, he's got an ax, let's, let's do this, you know? Maybe have some minions come out and just like really, I would have liked more of a, because it seemed like it was setting up for this big thing. I mean, with the, the preparations and putting their blood over everything and kind of this, you know, the self-contained thing to hold it. And it's kind of like, and he just walked off. I'm like, well, come on. Let's have oh, a I liked the, I, that portion of the end I liked because mm -hmm. I liked that the old monk had to put the symbol. 
he of his own blood on the kid in order to release the monster to go into him because the monster has to go into the next available body and the next available body was the old monk i like that that was fine but the battle like there should have been something better leading up to that point like that should have been like kind of the very very just didn't seem like it was much of a and the cop comes in and kind of like well he's going to be a kebab great you know whatever but which was an know, awesome I, kill by the way let's it was a pretty awesome kill the fact that he threw him 30 feet into the air into a branch right through the chest yeah that was pretty sweet that was pretty sweet i like that i had one question this is just kind of a throwaway part but i didn't understand it at one point the demon um has a gun pointed at just like a throwaway cop character and he shoots it but the guy doesn't get shot what the hell was that about did we miss something did they cut something away did they i I didn't understand the point of that blank like yeah Yeah. then i thought like the fact that the gun didn't shoot. I thought it was like, oh, that's going to be a plot point that maybe there are blanks in the gun. Yeah. But then later on, he does shoot someone. So I just I didn't understand that part. Neither did I. Okay. No, that didn't. I don't know that they understood it, but they did it. <laughs> I mean, why not? Because we don't see that cop ever again. Why not just shoot him? It makes the demon even worse, you know, yeah. scarier. I don't get it. Yeah, he's more evil. He's just murdering people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just I would have taken guns out of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a gun movie. No, it just didn't make. Well, the de- I mean, if it's a true monster, you, what, like- that was the one thing. Like, what's the monster's capabilities? It can only be dangerous and lethal if it's possessed in a body, right? Yeah. If it goes through one of the gates, the gates of a uh, human flesh or something. Stepping stone. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Otherwise, if it's not in body or it doesn't overtake a body, it doesn't have power. Because it just has to float around. I can't kill people if it's not in. Well, because that was just the eye getting back to the master. I yeah. think if it got back to the master, then it'd be like. Then, it can, then the over. full power is released. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now it's just the sense. ring getting back to him, basically. Again, to use the Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah. But, now uh, that you're saying that, we've been talking about it. This just turned into a Lord of the Rings podcast. on everybody. It is. Um, <laughs> uh, so this uh but i did like the uh, i thought the ending was too long what's the best horror scene in the movie uh that's my question for both of you uh it could be any of the scenes whether the possession or a killing or something what's the best horror scene in i this didn't movie? really think there were any to be honest oh there is there yeah there are a couple so for me either, no. either the the girl smiling i thought that was creepy or uh, the guy was, is at the towards the beginning of the film when the, the hand reaches over his shoulder. I thought that was pretty creepy. Yeah, the um, in the, the shadow the, or the one with the no, not the, the shadow, the older one. woman. Yeah, yeah, the, the one was it? I can't remember who, what there was two. Was, there was the first one was creepy, the second one that he seemed to be expecting. He was like, No, yeah, yeah. George, you know, it, it was the first one where you actually see the hand come over the, the shoulder. I thought that was a, pretty creepy. My favorite horror scene of the movie was, and, and it felt very trope uh, to a degree. And I thought it was going to go another direction and they didn't take it there and that's okay. Was the guy in the tunnel on the motorcycle who sees the stranded girl. And this is 100% horror film. Yeah. Right. Because you have a woman by herself in the middle of the night in an alleyway and 
a dude comes by, you think he's going to rescue her, or take her back. And then he walks up to her. I liked it was, it was creepy. It wasn't over the top, but like the, the look on her face, the stranded strangling wet hair, the look, the little tilt of the head, the cut to the feet with all the bloody feet and the nylons walking toward him. And then it overtakes him as the next quote unquote victim. Right. It was cool. And there was little, this is the thing about the movie was there's little things like that throughout, you know, it's like, there's little, it's very supernatural. Like you were saying, Alan, but there are glimpses of like just little paintings of like true embodied horror of, of demons, right? Like the girl smiling, the shadow shot of the monk in the, in the, in the temple with the little hand, the shadow comes over the top and reaches over his shoulder. And so he's hinting in these little stylistic ways of horror. But I think overall the movie's more, more mild toned than that. But I like those little elements that he threw in there that made it fun. I actually wish I would have, we would have seen more of that. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. To make it a little, a little darker, a little harder punching. Cause I yeah, got I get that, that, that feeling I get in other similar movies that just kind of like that. And that never happened. To yeah. Me once in the yeah. film. The yeah, smiles were, were fun. We're unexpected. Yeah, I got not a lot of jump so scares like, in this movie. Right. I got a little bored. I'm not, I like, I would get distracted watching this. There are quite a few times I had to rewind it because I just wasn't paying attention. Brandon never identified his favorite horror section. He says it's not, there is none. Not really. I mean, if, if I had to put something, it'd probably be the smiles just because they were unexpected and they did some nice sound design there to kind of make them a little snappier. So I was like, all right, that was kind of fun. Brandon's like, oh, wait, I didn't watch the movie. Wait, what are we doing? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just giving you a hard time because it's fun. It Am is I fun. mean, Brandon? Am I being mean to you? You're never mean to me. Uh, this is what oh, I love yeah. about Brandon more than anything. This is one of my favorite. I like, I love a lot of things about Brandon, but he doesn't take it too. He knows I'm joking. He, I oh, can yeah. say things and he knows I'm just playing. And I love that he's lighthearted about it. So well, I, mean, I turn off the podcast and I cry for an hour. I was going to say, you see the, the, the tear stained pillows he sleeps on every night. He just sobs in Lisa's shoulder. Just, <laughs> he's so mean to me. Why do you think you left the podcast for two years? That's probably what it is. <laughs> That's probably what it is. Yeah. Brandon knows. Here's the thing, though. Brandon knows in his heart of hearts he's one of my favorite people. He already knows that. Cause, and he knows that. You know why he knows that? Because I've told him that. That's how you told me straight up. So, okay, let's move on to uh, – let's, let's kind of get into some uh, – is there any – oh, we wanted to cover briefly. Maybe, Brandon, you can cover this section. I feel like th- it would be appropriate. I just wanted to cover this uh, kind of tragedy that happened down in New Mexico this last week. It's not our – place to really talk about it but i just think as filmmaker there's a level of respect and admiration for uh the tragedy that happened do you mind just kind of sharing it and then we can maybe briefly discuss it yeah i mean having worked on a few features that have involved firearms um we've gone through those safety procedures um i have been an actor that has fired a a weapon at another actor and I have to tell you, the very first time I did it, um, <laughs> it was for a, it was for a, 
a tribute to the matrix which was made in like 1999 and i played an agent and i did fire a weapon at a fellow actor and we burned one take because i hesitated to do it and i couldn't because it is i mean we had we had a, a sheriff and a prop master there and they went through all the procedures and double checked everything and so it was as safe as it could be but there's still that risk and especially now with um what we can do with visual effects there's absolutely no reason to fire blanks on a set and i i just feel like the risk isn't there when you can accomplish something visually in post you you still make a gun that does the kick so you know it, it can still have the motion everything like that but there's no reason to put around in there and and unfortunately it sounds like they cut a lot of corners and people are already concerned about safety and having been in the position of the first assistant director before professionally um safety is absolutely paramount and this is a tragedy that could absolutely have been completely avoided and um i just i just feel i feel horrible I feel horrible for the the crew around them because everyone's going to second guess themselves and wondering if I was the one, was it me? I feel bad for um, for Alec Baldwin. That can't be. He's he's probably in a in a dark place right now, um, going through knowing that he literally pulled the trigger on someone's life, and that's. Um, but I mean, as a filmmaker myself, if if it is a thing with a gun, um, I'm committing to never rely on blanks ever again there's there's other ways you can do it it's so easy to do it now there's no reason yeah and for those that don't know which i'm assuming oh, is very, very few of you this is a tragedy that happened down on a new mexico film set with uh, one of the cinematographers her name was uh helena hutchins and she was killed on set um which is a real uh just really sad so yeah, during the rehearsal even. Uh, so she was standing behind the camera. Uh, the director was behind her. I, I, there, I'm just trying, there's no, people are saying there was a live round in there, but again, having worked on a couple of sets, the live rounds don't even make it to the set. There's no reason to bring right. a live round to the set. So, well, kind of what happened with uh, Brandon Lee in The Crow. Um, just a little bit of something gets in there and it's still a project. It doesn't have to be a bullet. Yep. If something's in that chamber, it still gets propelled for forward and it can. Yeah. I mean, safety on set, as you mentioned, Brandon is like number one. And, and look, I'm not here to speculate on the news of what happened. I'll let the investigators do that. Uh, I just know that it's a tragedy and it's really sad that something like that had to happen. And, uh, from my own experience, like one thing I know is like in two in two forms of experience, one professionally and one academically, I mean, get student come get students that would used to come to us and go, we're going to do a gun scene. And we'd say, no, you're not. There's yeah. you can't do it. And you, if you got like Todd and I both at, at the Art Institute, um, we tried. I don't know whether students listened to us. If students came to me or Todd with a gun scene, we'd say no. No gun we, scenes. We, we did one. Um, under the Art Institute, um, just background, um, Gabe and I met as he was my instructor and I was a student. <laughs> um, but we did one, um, but we did it with a, we did it with a fake gun, but we still, we went an airsoft around. gun. Yeah, it was an airsoft gun. Yeah. And we did it with um, police involvement. 
we did it we went around we did it in a in a neighborhood and we knocked every single door and we said this is what we're going to be doing the police are involved the police was there he he double checked the weapon for us just to make sure it wasn't an airsoft gun and we did the scene and nothing happened we and had this to... goes outside of like gun safety too look when you're on yeah. set is is hold those i mean safety first and always like take the if you think you're not taking enough precaution take m way more like just always go on the upside of precaution <laughs> you know so yeah i i saw first ad um and it was just for a rehearsal and there was a prop gun but what he did is he pointed to the floor and he went through the chamber three times and just to just to double check even though trigger wasn't being pulled he just Okay, cold gun. Well, and in, in all in all honesty, nobody but a gun wrangler should handle the gun, not even the first AD. Like a, the, that's correct. The um, gun wrangler should handle the gun. He should hand it directly to the actor. The actor should do whatever they've been trained to do. And then the gun should go right back to the gun wrangler. No one else should handle a gun except for that person that's been dedicated and assigned and has a sort of certification or professional expertise in that field. But it's a tragedy. It's a bummer. Um, I feel bad for, of course, her family and all those involved because it's a it's a tough time. It's awful. Um, but Gabe, I gotta ask. You know, you're a teacher. You've taught a lot of film students. How many projects do not have guns in them? This is a great question, Alan. Because the reality, the other thing we would always say is write a story without a gun. Right. Write a story without a gun. <laughs> I, mean, I mean i was in film school every every single project every everybody has a gun that, this brings up a good point alan because to me it's and it's it's a great point which is why do we immediately if you're a filmmaker and, and i i'm guilty of it too right i'm guilty of it too i think every filmmaker anyone who's written a story for a movie or a script has fallen into this why do we always revert to a gun immediately yeah. I don't know exactly, but I can guess that it's tension. I mean, that's the only, I mean, it's True. an easy way to build tension if you're inexperienced. True. There's that's my guess. Places, I mean, there's a few places like it would make sense to me that I would do it. If I'm doing historical, based on a true story, like a- like Yeah, a, Arab, I get it. I get yeah. it. I just mean like what, like, what I always saw ever? to, yeah, to Alan's question is like, you write a short film and somehow, some way, it, a gun always just and, and it's not even necessary i mean i agree with you Alan. that's a good point which is it it does build tension so that's an immediate no pun intended trigger to build tension right but like why why are we, why are we always reverting to that so uh not to uh make lighthearted of something that obviously wasn't um like i said tragedy and i i hope everyone involved can uh kind of move forward and they can get things solved and figured out real bummer she's yeah. too. She born in 79. Yep. Not, she's our age, basically. So it's it's a tough thing. Um, I have a friend who's actually went to school with her um, at AFI. Mm -hmm. So he knew her quite well. Actually made a movie with her. So uh, on a lighter note, we'll get back to Eighth Night, which is a Korean film currently on Netflix. Brandon's possible uh, favorite of Horror Month. Um, <laughs> Aside from the two that will not even air, they won't even see the the, the light of day uh, is, is possible, um, which is uh, Sleepaway Camp, which was his. So we, we for those listening, look, we made two podcasts. 
Gabe really messed up. Let's just call it what it is. I'll take full accountability. Uh, <laughs> we, we filmed two podcasts. One was Sleep Away Camp, which is a movie I picked from the 80s. Uh, Brandon's, besides this film, that's his favorite film. Correct. Right, Give us your, your summary, your rundown, your rating on Eighth Night on Netflix. I would have I would have given it higher <clears throat> if the story was a little bit more solid. It, it felt like it felt like they probably wrote it out longer, but maybe in the editorial process, some things got taken taken out that might have bridged a couple of gaps for me a little bit easier. Um, I wanted the movie longer. I wanted the movie longer, or yeah, or Jackson choices. Um, but ultimately. I always go back to what Gabe says too, because I, I I've said that a thousand times. Like, but they made a movie, you know, and they and the, and they they accomplished it. It was it was it was done well. I wouldn't call it beautiful cinematography, but it was done well. And am I giving my rating right now? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a rating. Oh, I don't know if I have to see. I will give it. Six and a half meatless hamburgers. So is that 6.5? 6.5 meatless hamburgers. Meatless hamburgers. That's a little nod out too. And before, and, and Brandon, I keep doing that. I did this last time, so my apologies. Brandon's already given his rating. I forgot. I had a couple. I had uh, not a couple. I had one Google review that I needed to read because that's all there is. Oh. At least that I can find. So we, Brandon comes in though at 6.5 meatless hamburgers, otherwise known as a vegetarian burger. Um, or just buns, buns. just buns that have been, it's just it has to be removed by someone else. That's <laughs> what qualifies this one. Wait, wait. So did he just not want to touch the meat? I mean, that's I fine. It's soon to touch the. the that's dead fine. Animal. Like I get it. You can get that meat off your burger without touching it. Yeah, you just dump it over. Yeah, you, it's not hard. That that it just but all right. I, doesn't matter. I could go on. That was just part of the the character. This that is what Alan's getting hung crazy. up on, of all things. It's he's like awesome. a freaking baby or like a dog or something. It's like he has it no. very babyish in this film, but I think oh. there's. I think that's the character too. He's trying to be not. He, there's a naivete to his character because he hasn't seen the world. Oh, for and I get it, and I understand that, and I understand that's that's the point of the character. But also, you don't have to go that over the top. He's like Alan's. Like also, why, why, yeah. <laughs> why. <laughs> Here's the quick review. Four out of five. It says it's slow paced, interesting, and a good movie. A great one time watch. It was confusing at the beginning. Then when you feel like you've started following, they throw a twist to confuse. Actually, that's, I agree. that's a pretty fair. There's a few more ratings in there, actually. Um, I was trying to find a, a one star. Here's my last one. We'll just do two today. The one is one out of five from Skrillex Panda three months ago. <laughs> Some of these handles are fantastic. What's the Maybe. handle? The, I, the, people are way more creative than me. Skrillex hand. What was the, oh, what was the one? I, oh, damn it. I'm not going to remember the one from last time, from last cast. It was oh, uh, the, the, was it a Kubrick based one? Notorious. Oh, what was it? It was so good. It was a Notorious B.I.G. in combination with something else it was called yeah, notorious it was, it was great oh, it was whatever notorious, it was notorious notorious stardust something no, like that close. it was a david bowie notorious big mix and i loved it yeah 
The mythological part of the movie is good, but the screenplay is bad. No depth in characters and can't connect with any of them, except the monk and the kid. It's not a horror movie, so no jump scares and not too many plot holes. Huh? I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to anyone. That's one out of five. So you would, not, would not recommend it to anyone? Yeah. Oh. Skrillex Panda's like, get that shit out of here. And then Nick, three months ago, I got to read the other one out of five. It was terrible. I never leave movie reviews, but unfortunately, it was that bad. Those are my favorite reviews when the, the movie this. is so bad that they, they just can't help themselves but have to review it. And he and says, Alan, he says, all the good scenes are in the preview. Waste of two hours of your life. Fifteen people found that helpful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not necessarily wrong. It's not right, but it's not wrong. Yeah. I don't know. This movie, it's, uh, it's too long. I will say that the movie's too long. Agreed. Uh, it's slow at points and it is confusing, but once it gets going, it's enjoyable. Like it's a good, it's an enjoyable movie. I really think it is. We kind of shit on it. And we kind of brought up all the flaws and there are a lot of flaws, but I, I did enjoy it. Like I didn't think it was bad. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was. Don't go in thinking it's a horror movie. Cause it's not really, uh, Go in expecting kind of that fantasy vibe, and I think you'll be you'll be fine. Like it's it's supernatural. It, it you know that show is not a great show. It's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. It's kind of a soap opera for for people who like horror, and that's a little bit of what this is. Like it's it's fine. It's good. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I'm gonna come in with six point eight eyeballs. Nice. eyeballs makes sense. Is that the red or the black? Red. I'm we putting red really in there. Black. <clears throat> we never really saw the black one, did we? Just in, just in, in artist renditions. Like this is what we think it might look like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we saw the black one. They, they didn't have a budget to create the black one. They could only create one, so they had to choose red. Red makes most sense red. to choose. Exactly. Okay. So nice. Uh, we got. So we had Brandon at six point five, and Alan at was it six point eight? Yep. So I'm gonna uh, Rotten Tomatoes comes in at uh, with this one at 63 percent, 63 percent from the critics and 41 percent from the audience. Oof. How do you think it's Netflix for the audience, but it's fresh for the critics? So that's interesting. How do you think Netflix chooses their films? Because it seems like sometimes they just go for just not good films. I think they do packages. I think they'll like they'll scoop up like. 10 Korean films and they'll, I, I honestly think it is it's like a baker's dozen situation. I think it's here. We'll okay. Yeah, they'll, they'll, I think they'll usually slate them out with like Brandon said, a, a, a grouping. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there'll be a partnership or something with a production company. I know they're doing a lot of stuff in Spain right now. Uh, if you watch and scroll through Netflix, you see a lot of Spanish and um, productions. Uh, because they're they're able to do it. I don't want to say cheaply because they're still spending a good amount of money, but pretty high production value. And, and I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of the stories, uh, but Netflix has a ton of those. I was watching like it's just Spanish films too. It's just interesting that they uh, uh, a service, a streaming service that started off so strong with their content, and we're talking about House of Cards is like the first series that really launched 
this kind of stuff. And it was fantastic when it first started. And then little by little, Netflix just kind of went downhill. And now it just kind of feels like when they release something, it's good. I'm surprised. Well, then you move in, I think, with the scalability, right? Because they grew so fast, you just look at growth. In other words, you're like, we're just going to have a portfolio of ton of stuff. You know, like before there was a art, there was a wine taster effect. It's like, we're going to bring in House of Cards. Uh, we're going to acquire the rights to Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to we're going to wine taste this. And then it grew so fast. I think they just started going, what do we we got to get content? And that's true. And it's kind of like what HBO did. HBO right. started with like the Sopranos and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they they came strong. Yes. And then they just kind of went downhill. And, and again, like now, now they're going into the true crime documentary stuff. And that's, that's definitely better. But it just feels like when they have an original show that's good, I'm surprised these days. And it, which is so weird to think about. Because if you would have told me 10, 15 years ago that HBO wouldn't be good, I'd, I'd be shocked. Right. They were definitely. I, it's funny to watch that. In, it's not a, like, I'm happy to have all these streaming services available. But it is interesting to watch a bit of that decline in mm -hmm. certain I, and I think you just can't do it. I don't know that you can hold that longevity of excellence when you're trying to grow because you just need to put shit into the portfolio. True. Also looking at, you know, I, I also see the individual filmmakers and in all of that because it's about finding the right filmmakers because it's not like HBO is actually doing it. I mean, they're, they contract, for example, um, Chernobyl unbelievably great miniseries but that was from a filmmaker and they've decided like yes we're going to do this and i think um like i'm loving the stranger things that's a netflix series that's i i've really enjoyed but i think i've told this the game before and i think we're kind of in the the golden era of content that's made for us our age and that's going to go away and i'm just going to enjoy every minute of it because <laughs> i know i mean i see this shit that, that my my kids watch on just they just watch people playing video games like, yeah next it'll be netflix will be hiring youtubers they kind of well so we just watched uh free guy i don't know what that is it's the ryan reynolds movie it's he's a video game character oh i liked free guy but they had youtubers in there like actual youtubers yeah, actual. Like cameo, as cameos like gamer youtubers my kids cheer. Free Guys also, right. it was on Disney Plus. Free Guy? Mm hmm. Really? Yeah. Mm. Oh, no, you're right. YouTube. Sorry. I said Disney. You're, and yeah, you're right. Sorry. But yeah, it, it, when we get those original stories, I think HBO really does well with historical dramas. Because um, again, Chernobyl was, I've watched it three times. It's just so, so, so good. Um, I don't know. I mean, Free Guy's huge too, though. You have Sean Levy and like there's big time directors and people involved, right? Yeah, and a ton of cameos. And Ryan Reynolds is hot as butter right now. So I like him. I think he's funny. I liked Free Guy. I thought it was silly and it was a good watch. I enjoyed myself. It was a good popcorn flick. Oh, yeah. I love. I love those. Did you watch Midnight Mass? Yeah. No, not yet, but I, it's on the list for sure. I, I fell asleep with it on last night and. So I, I don't know. I can't tell you if it's good or not, but all I know is the parts that I kept waking up to were super boring. 
it's, it, I would give it it's a little bit of a slow start. I like, probably won't make it boring, then. like debates about whether religion should be taught in school. It's like I have that in my in real life. I don't need to watch this. But I'll give it a chance. I, I'll give it a chance. I'm, I'm, I'm talking from someone who is just kind of in and out while it was on. So it I'm sounds not, like me with the witch, Alan. It, 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 yeah, probably a little bit. I, I would I would say the two are very similar in in pacing. Let's just put it that way. Oh, I mean, God. obviously, it's a little bit more, you know, compact. You the love witch. the witch, though. No, so. I do love the witch. I can I can handle it in a feature when a series like I don't want to have to watch five episodes to to finally be good because there's too much stuff out there that's really good that if it's if I got to if I got to wait five episodes for a, a series to get good, I'm not going to last that long. Three. Uh, no, the first two and then the third one, that's when that's when stuff starts happening. All right. I mean, I, again, I, I didn't I have not watched it, so I'm not I'm, I'm coming from someone who's just seen bits and pieces of it. So I'll I'll give it a try. Neither have I. And uh, I, I'll, I'll it's on the list. I think eventually I'll get around to it. Let me jump into my score on eighth night. So this. This this trailer, it tricked me a little bit. And usually <laughs> I don't watch trailers. I usually don't. I'll just. This trailer tricked me into thinking it was something it wasn't. The synopsis that that I read tricked me into thinking it was something it wasn't. So for that, I'm a little disappointed, right? Because I didn't, uh, but overall, I mean, there's elements to the movie that I enjoyed. Um, it's not like you mentioned, Alan. I don't know, and I, and I would agree, is it's not really a horror film. It's got a little bit of mystery and thriller and supernatural and there's glimpses, like I mentioned, just of like 10 second shots that feel horror, that feel horror. Uh, it's not extraordinary. It's not the best movie that you're ever going to watch. Um, technically sound. I think it's put together well. A uh, little convolution in the story, like was mentioned. But I think, to be honest, I'll speak. I think they missed it. I think they missed the opportunity. I think that it's a it's a better concept. That it, and it could have been a lot darker and a little more sinister than they made it. They made it a little bit higher end, higher fluff. Nothing wrong with that. I think for the first time, if this is indeed his first movie, he, he freaking stomped the shit out of it because it's on a first time director. He did a great job. I just think they missed the boat on the darkness. Um, so with that said, I'm going to come in at, we had a 6.5 from Brandon, a 6.8 from Alan. And uh, I'm going to come in lower than both of you. Uh, not because I don't enjoy the movie, but it's not rewatchable. I don't need to see it again. It, and like I said at the beginning, it's good. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just, it is what it is, which means it's forgettable. Yeah. So 6.2. 6.2 white sneakers. <laughs> Nice. And by the way, I want to mention, you gave this a 6.2. We talked about bad taste. Yeah. Bad taste, you gave a 7.3. Yeah, because I I do like... Look, admittedly, I'm... Look, I gave... What did I give Sleepaway Camp? That's a shit film. Let's see. Sleepaway Camp, he gave 6.9. Okay, so that's what I mean. I like... (laughs) Wow. <laughs> Wait, what did Brandon give Sleepaway Camp? A five? Oh, sure. I was like, 
What was it? 4.2. Lucky they got that. And what did you give it, Alan? I gave Sleepaway Camp 7.2. Yeah, me and Alan like the we're fools for shitty B movies. Yeah. I do. I like shitty B movies. I'm not going to lie. Again, like if I had known what I was going into, I probably would have been better. But no, I that's the cop. I have, I have to give the rating that I felt at the time. I can't, I can't go back in time. Because like when I watched like Troll 2, I knew what I was getting into. I love Troll 2. No, that's a shit movie. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot, popcorn scene sex. Hello. But the Bologna sandwiches. Ah, I love bologna sandwich. The documentary about Troll 2 is much better than the movie Troll 2. Correct. It's really good. I think it's called Best Worth Movie. Yeah, Troll 2 is horrible. It's a, so it yeah. sounds like any movie that doesn't hit the mark should just create a documentary about how shitty the movie was and it'll be yep. better. Yep. Well, I, that's actually true with Citizen Kane. Had I not watched the document like with Citizen Kane beforehand and understood the context and the contemporary things that are happening at the time, I wouldn't have enjoyed Citizen Kane as much. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have understand the uh, Pulitzer, whatever. I mean, or, okay, uh, we're ending this podcast. We're, we're going. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're talking about getting convoluted. <laughs> talking about getting convoluted. We're talking about this filmmaker convoluted. We're all we're all over the damn map. Okay, let's end it out. This is. Uh, Gabe signing off with Alan and Brandon for the Tame Aperture Podcast. This is the last podcast for Horror Month. Alan will probably no longer want to join us on the show because it's not horror anymore. Although, Alan, I looked at our portfolio and really about we're about 50-50 horror yeah, anyway. We, we don't ever stray too far. <laughs> not straying we, too far. We get a little into the Criterion Collection and then we come back to this, the schlock. Yes, we like to get back into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. So the Tame Aperture Podcast. Go check us out at TameAperture.com and on all streaming platforms. This is Gabe for Brandon and Alan signing off. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.